0: 7 to 8 p.m. Sport on with Tabi Somosia.
1: Thank you. Good evening. Welcome to the show. I am Tabiso Musia Luyolom Kalipis, the producer. Uh, Baba Olam Duma is in technical tonight and Debuchal Khadeba on social media. Not such a great weekend of sport compared to the previous one. Um, nothing major to celebrate, but still lots to talk about uh, this weekend. And in a short while, well, or later on on the show, we'll be going over to Brighton to talk about Percy Tau's move to the English Premier League club. They have since confirmed that they will be loaning him out this season to get experience. Experience of european football uh, we are told that it is a south african record transfer fee of 50 million rand so we just want to find out from the people of brighton what are they expecting from pesita uh, do they expect him to come back next season what happens to him now where do they think he'll be loaned out because we do understand that the owners of brighton also have a club in belgium is that where he's going so we'll get all those details uh when we go over to brighton uh, we did invite um Pesitawu's advisors uh, to come and speak to us. Uh, they did agree but later on they felt that the interview um, uh, will be better later on so we will wait for them when they are ready to speak to us. Uh, we, always have, we have all the time in the world and they can come and speak to us when they are ready to talk but the show must go on so we'll go over to Brighton to get more details on Pesitaw's move to the English Premier League even though he will be uh, loaned out this season. Then we'll go to Germany to get reaction after Mesut Ozil's shock retirement from international football where he Cited racism as part of the reason to quit playing for the German national team, and he seems to have received widespread support. Uh, he released a statement on social media yesterday, which uh, shocked a lot of people when he said that he, when the team wins, he is German, but when the team loses, he is then he is then referred to as an immigrant. And it seems like he's really, really hurting the uh, Mesut Ozil. He is of Turkish descent, of 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 course, and we want to get reaction now from Germany to find out how are reacting to this he even says is it because um it's turkey uh, my origins are from turkey is it because i'm a muslim i think here lays an important issue so we're gonna get reaction on that but before all of that let's address the cricket folks the proteas have once again been crushed by sri lanka this time by 199 runs i'm in mean, the second and final test match in colombo that match finishing 40 minutes after lunch on the fourth day as the lankans completed a 2-0 series whitewash and a few minutes ago we put a call through to sri lanka and we caught up with proteas assistant coach malibongo maketa to find out what went wrong in this Test series. There's still the ODIs to look forward to. They start on a Sunday. And I began by asking him, uh, Malubongo Maqueta, the assistant coach, what went wrong?
2: Yeah, we were very, we very disappointed with, with our performances over the two games. We felt coming here, um, we invested a lot of time back home prepping for what we could expect. But unfortunately, it was not, not quite uh, worked out the way we, we had planned. And um I think the biggest disappointment for us is the way we batted. Um without taking anything away from the Sri Lankan spinners a really, really bold well. Um but in anticipating they're gonna play three spinners in one quick, we didn't think the conditions would be would be as um as bad as that. Not bad as the way, as uh, as challenging as that to be honest.
1: I was I was about to ask, would you say you lost to the better team here or the conditions just got the better of the Proteas, or is it a bit of both coach
2: It's a bit of both you know we we lost to a better team in their conditions mm. um, I mean they could easily say the same when they came to us they lost to us in our conditions uh what we pride ourselves on as proteus is that we go around the world and we perform consistently you know this is our second Series, we've lost away from home in ten years, and for so that, it's very disappointing for us. Which is why we invested a lot of time to make sure that we'll be ready for the series, and there,
1: um, unfortunately, we we came short. Mm. Before the series, realistically, what was the goal? What were you hoping to achieve in these two matches?
2: Um, we we've, we've come here, we, we we we've been here before, and we've won the series. And our goal was to come here and win the series. Um, If you remember, in terms of our preparation, we spent a lot of time in Pretoria prepping and making sure by the time we get, they will hit the ground running um, in us, which will help us uh, win the series. That was the ultimate goal, to come here and win the series. We really believe with the group of players we have, we can still go back to become number one um, just team in the world and that's been our driving force.
1: Mm. You've touched on the batsmen. They've come under under criticism, obviously, for the way they played, uh, the spin. What what was the game's plan against the Sri Lanka spinners?
2: Well, you can have all the game plans you want, but if you come here and the ball is turning from ball one and with accurate spinners and fielders around the bat, it's not something we really come across Often, And it's a lesson for us that we've learned. You know, we're going to play a lot of cricket in the subcontinent. And going forward with our planning and making sure that we meticulous, we really learned a lot from the series. And the game plan was really simple for us, is to make sure that we play with positive intent, really looking to rotate strike, positive intent not meaning we need to hit fours and sixes. Uh, Our strike rotation had to be really good to make sure that their spinners don't settle in any region by bowling at one particular player for long periods of time so that they can build pressure. Unfortunately, we weren't able to execute as well at the first game, I think in the second game. And you can also testify to the fact that we got better as time goes by um, as a betting unit.
1: There's been some talk here at home that the team maybe needs to 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 appoint a spin betting coach. Is that a thing in international cricket? And would you agree with the sentiment?
2: Yeah, I think it's
1: what you need. You
2: know, um, like I said, now with the way uh, Test cricket and um, cricket is concerned, we play a lot. You spend a lot of time playing in the subcontinent, so it's something that we we need to look at going forward is do we come here and bring get a consultant, batting coach in terms of spin, specialising in spin? Those are the questions we're asking ourselves. What else could we have done better to make sure that we, we come here and win the series? I mean, in the past, we've, we've come here with really top players and we've won and uh, we believe we have top players and unfortunately we couldn't put it through this time.
1: Mm. Um, looking at the second test a lot has been said about the decision to only play one spinner in the second test especially because the Sri Lankan spinners took 17 of the 20 wickets in the first test in goal and all 20 in the second you clearly got it wrong here coach but but please take us through the thinking yeah um, I mean in hindsight
2: it would have worked that better if we played a second spinner but our thinking was quite simple in the sense that our past success has really, really been our quick bowlers with extra pace and with an abrasive uh, surface that we played on. We be, we really believe the ball would reverse swing and our extra pace is always done while well we in Sri Lanka. But unfortunately, um it didn't work out this time. But again, it's another big lesson to learn, to, you know. Um, we'll definitely come back in our approach, I believe would we'll
1: Look at the conditions and hopefully make better decisions. Mm. A guy like Shamsi had come home for family reasons, went back to Sri Lanka. Did that trip to SA put him out of contention since he missed a few days of practice? Um, not
2: necessarily. I mean, Shamsi's father passed away, so he had to go home, which means he missed out on a lot of preparation before the second test. And. That really did set him back because we had to make sure he was in a good place mentally for him to perform and win at a test match. But he was in con- he was in contention for for selection. But um, yeah, we he went other way in terms of selection. Match, but, yeah.
1: But having said that, I'm sure there's some positives that you can take over the two test matches. What What are some of the positives, coach?
2: Yeah, there were big positives for us in terms of. Um, Shemzi bowled really well in that first innings uh, in, in goal, and Keshov came back here and bowled brilliantly as a lonely spinner in our in, in our attack. And the way he missed to you know, for him to come to the subcontinent and score his first hundred under really testing condition was was really a bright bright light for us for young batting lineup. I mean, the way Timber played, it shows that you know with a bit of time and you've um, got the players. It's a matter of now going forward and making sure that we learn from these lessons we we going through this time and I'm sure next time will be much better. We'll do easily come here and win the series.
1: Finally, how do you lift them up now with the ODI series ahead? Yeah. Um,
2: it does help to have an injection of six different players that are coming from home mm. who've been watching on TV. They brought in really great energy. We had our first we had our first training session today mm. and already the mood and the way tennis played today and Kemba played has almost just about put a lot of life back into us to reignite it and focusing on the one on, on the white on in on the one day games.
1: Well, that was Protea's assistant coach, Malibongo Maketa. We caught up with him just a few minutes uh, before the show to get, obviously, uh, to find out what went wrong and what happened in those two test uh, matches. And listening to the conversation was SABC sport reporter, Natalie Germanis, and we'll get uh, her views on, 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 on the two test matches after this quick break.
0: Leading sport stories of the day.
1: On SAFM, I always feel free to join the conversation at any time on zero eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. Our SMS line is four zero nine three eight. Our WhatsApp number zero six one four one zero four one zero seven, and hashtag SAFM spot on on social media. And a lot of tweets coming through about the cricket. But let's go to Natalie first, who joins us on the line. Natalie, uh, good evening, and thank you for speaking to us on SAFM. Good evening to you too.
3: Thanks very much.
1: No protea fire this time around, Natalie, but the coach has taken a few positives. Coach Malibongo Maketa, are you also taking a few from these two test matches? And if so, what are they?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely positives. There's no doubt about it. One being obviously tennis, the brain's 100. The way he played, he seemed to have quite a lot more freedom than a lot of the other basses had. It was good to see that he changed his game plan in the second innings and he adapted so well to the conditions. Also, Temba Bavuma was quite brilliant with the bass. To have the strike rate that he did going around 65 is, is quite special in those conditions because it's not easy. It's not easy to be attacking and he was and he played really, really well and he showed glimpses of that even in the first Test match also But this time around Making a good half century And of course uh, Keshav Maharaj is 12 Which was uh, quite Spectacular to watch Because he had no support From another spinner But he just kept bowling Bowled 81 overs In the Test match in total Which is a loss And those those 12 wickets That he took Was uh, really special And he showed Some high skill In the conditions
1: well, well, Natalie, surely it was not rocket science to go with two spinners in Colombo. You mentioned that he had no support. Is there an over-reliance here on the attack, especially with the coach being a former simmer himself? Well, I think, you know, when,
3: I, when it was interesting to hear their thoughts, um, or I heard the thoughts of Otis Gibson and Fass When they had a look at the surface, they thought, thought it was going to be abrasive. So they thought they'd get reverse swings. And their strength is definitely the seamers, and it's definitely the quicker bowlers, and that's always been South Africa's strength. And they thought the best way to go about it is to stick with what they know and stick with their strength. And they thought the reverse string would help them, and it would be like almost like an X factor, really, because it's something that Sri Lanka wouldn't have had. So they thought that would be the best way forward. Obviously they made a mistake and they said in hindsight they did make a mistake. And I think going forward they would have learned a really good lesson because next year they've got to play India in India and they've got to make sure that they're able to put the right team forward to be able to contest with India in their own conditions. So yes, there was an over-reliance on the seamers and they should have definitely gone in with two spinners. Even maybe possibly have thought of three spinners and brought in Sean Van back because mm. of the way that pitch played. Um, but definitely two was needed. And unfortunately, the, the plan that they had backfired, and it backfired big for them.
1: Coach Malibongwa says the batting let them down. Is is that what's to blame over the two test matches?
3: It's definitely one of the big problems, that's for sure. Because from a shot selection point of view, the batters were pretty poor, and they would be very disappointed with that because... That is that have been so good over the last little while and they've shown that they can play in almost all conditions. But in these ones they just didn't adapt at all and it took them a very long time before we actually saw somebody adapting and that was the brain when it was already unfortunately way too late when you're starting your second innings 214 runs behind it's almost impossible to get back into the test match so definitely the has let them down there's no doubt about it and, and you're talking about some of the senior players the likes of Lissi, the likes of Hashim Amla who really did struggle in those conditions quite a bit unfortunately Dean Elgo wasn't able to come off at the top of the order either and when he comes off, it often takes the pressure off everybody else. So they know that they've um, underperformed. It's not at the standards we would have expected from them. I think everybody would have expected the bats to struggle in those conditions, but probably not as much.
1: How big um, is it uh, a mental prob- uh, problem? Did the Proteas overthink the playing of spin?
3: Um, I'm not too sure if they did, actually. It's an interesting question, that because um, I think from their point of view, they would have known what to expect going in goal wasn't a raging turner in the first test match. It wasn't one that like we saw in the second test match where there was turn and bounce right from day one and it wasn't nearly as dry. Um, But I I think maybe in a way I suppose mentally they might not have been prepared. They did say that in the the warm-up game it wasn't the same conditions as what they got in the test series either. So they didn't probably have the, the, the physical preparation as well as the mental preparation going into the game. But it's very difficult to actually prepare for those types of conditions when you come from the likes of the South African wickets, which are faster, they bounce, the ball comes onto the back a lot better. And of course, it's not as dry and it doesn't turn as much. So I think maybe mentally there is some work that needs to be done there, possibly, if they are going to compete in those conditions. But it's the first time that Sri Lanka has beaten South Africa in a series since 2006. So they've had a good record against Sri Lanka coming up into the series and they just came short this time around.
1: Well, Tiena De Bruyne, I mean, has been a solid performer in domestic cricket. We, he's been knocking on the door. We know what he's done. He certainly can't be dropped now, Natalie. But what does it say about the number three and the number four positions now? Should he come in at first drop and hash at four?
3: Oh, that's, that's, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how South Africa handle that going forward. Because Hasim Amla, for quite a while, was at number four. We had the likes of du Plessis coming in at number three for a time. And it actually worked really well. And then possibly after that India to drop down the order and Hashim went back up the order to number three, where he has had success, but in the last few years, his average has been dropping. And it's dropped relatively dramatically for his standards. So they've, they've got to now have a little think about this. They did this with Shah al He used to be at number three, dropped down to number four, and had plenty of success at number four. question is, can tennis to brain handle the ball when it's coming onto the bat a lot faster and it's also moving around as well. He has struggled so far in test matches where the pitch is more steamer friendly. So it'll be interesting to see what they do against Pakistan when those test matches come around because that number three spot is very crucial for South Africa.
1: Talking about Hashim, um, there have been a lot of tweets ever since we said we we're speaking to you. And uh, Evans Peeway is tweeting us now. Is his place in the side under threat after a, the recent run of indifferent performances? People want to know why is he still there.
3: Yeah, you know, you never want to say that somebody who's got nine thousand test runs to his name and had an average of fifty through most of his career um, that his place is actually under threat because he is somebody who is a class player, and you don't ever, you can't ever take that away from him. I know a lot of people are saying he hasn't done much of late and they're looking at his average and saying, well, it's dropped. Yes, it has dropped and he's had some barren patches. But when you look back on some of his innings that he's had of late and you look at them individually, like, 61 that he made against India and Johannesburg on a very, very tough wicket. That was a brilliant inning. He made 82 at Centurion as well on another not-so-easy wicket for batting either. He made 56 against Australia. So his contributions are still there. It's probably just not as big as we've just come accustomed to with him because he is somebody who makes the, the beginnings and, and certainly hangs around for long periods of time. He's got a couple of double hundreds to his name and that massive 311 at the Oval. Is his place under threat? Well, I would like to think that in a way, most players in the team, almost in, in fact, probably all of them should always feel that they've got to work from their face in the side. Nobody should feel 100% safe because otherwise you get complacent. And I'm pretty sure that, that Hashimana knows he's um, probably under a little bit of personal pressure at the moment.
1: And finally, Natalie, do you expect the Proteas to be better in the ODIs? Is this the main part of the tour with the World Cup happening next year?
3: Yeah, this is a really big part for South Africa, isn't it? Because the last time when they played the one-day internationals against India, they got an absolute hiding. They lost 6-1 on that occasion, and a couple of those games were massive victories for India, and that was in South African conditions. So now you're in subcontinental conditions, and you've got to move on to the, the shorter formats, which they haven't played for a little while. It's going to be interesting to see the combinations that they use, but I think you've got to look at it as, preparation for that World Cup and what the, 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 the starting eleven is going to be. Because if South Africa end up losing this series and they lose it heavily, but they do well at the World Cup, nobody's going to remember this series. You're going to think of that World Cup, of course. So that, that I think, is going to be the most important part. Is keep in mind that that's what this is about, is preparation for the World Cup. But at the same time, winning is a habit, and they'll want to put in a very good performance in the series.
1: Smoot Dube on Twitter wants to know, one spinner or two spinners in the ODI series?
3: Well, two spinners, I I would imagine they would would look to go with two spinners. The question is, if you've got J.P. Germany on the side, will that be enough as the second spinner? It could possibly be enough as the second spinner. But Ketaf Maharaj, I'm I'm sure we'll see him coming out in that series. Tavros Shamsi is in the squad as well, and he has shown that he can do some special things with the ball in this format as well. So I'd be very interested to see what their combinations are going to be. But if J.P. Germany is going to play, you've got to decide, is that enough for two spinners? to have him and maybe Keshav Maharaj or him and Teh Bray Shanzi. Um, it's going to be very dependent on the basses as well and how many basses they want to go in with because South Africa in the one-day format has certainly got more options in terms of all-rounders. But I, I would like to see 2 frontline spinners.
1: Great stuff. Natalie Jermanis, always a pleasure talking uh, to you. Thank you for joining us again on SAFM.
3: My pleasure. Have a good
1: evening. Thank you, Natalie. Up next, we're going to go over to Germany to get a reaction after Mesut Ozil's shock retirement from international football. And after that, we go to Brighton to find out more about Pesitaou's move. This
0: is SAFM Sport with Tabiso Musia.
1: And now let's go over to Germany because there's that big story during the rounds that even the German Chancellor Angela Merkel has weighed in on and that's after Mesut Ozil announces international retirement citing racism and disrespect within German football. He says he received hate mail and threats and was blamed for Germany's disappointing World Cup adding that when we win I am German but when we lose I am an immigrant. SABC Sports and News correspondent in Germany. Ira Spitzer joins us on the line right now. Ira, a good evening evening and thank you for joining us all the way in Berlin.
4: Uh, good evening to you and thanks for having me.
1: Always a pleasure talking to you. Firstly, did this retirement come as a surprise or did the reasons of the retirement come as a surprise to you?
4: Well, this situation had been building for the last couple months. People here had demanded an explanation for Mesut Ozel, had criticized him for his silence after taking that photo with the Turkish president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, in the build-up to the World Cup. Uh, But they got their answer on Sunday night with Ozil posting uh, a lengthy uh, statement on Twitter, essentially uh, accusing the German Football Federation of racism, accusing the country's media of racism, and announcing that he was quitting the national team. So people knew something was going to happen, but I don't think uh, they expected quite the strong response uh, from Ozel and the strong words from Ozel. And it's really, uh, of course, been just a huge story here today mm-hmm. with, uh, with a lot of people really split down the middle. There's certainly many people here who, uh, feel that his, his accusations have a lot of merit. Uh, he was certainly the face of Germany's disastrous World Cup, uh, with people blaming both him for his play as well as the distraction caused by his photo with the turkish president but now that he is uh he is gone i think there really uh, is going to be some soul searching and some debate here as to exactly uh what all the fuss was really about
1: so when you say era there are mixed views there is it because um they don't agree with him that there is a, a, a racism or they think he's a crybaby which one is it
4: well i think i think all of those uh, both of those elements are are there in, in certain parts of society? I mean, what uh, you know, you have a very large Turkish minority here—about three million people with Turkish heritage—and uh, Mesut Özil is certainly one of the most uh, famous uh, Turkish people in Germany, if not the most. So to have uh, to have him sort of uh, make this, this 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 strong statement about racism, uh, suddenly people are are, are having to. Uh, to kind of look back at the incident and, and figure out exactly what it is. And for some people here, uh, they say it wasn't racism. They said that he never should have taken the photo with Turkey's president, who is a controversial figure here because of uh, some his, his crackdown on uh, political opposition and journalists in Turkey. However, the counter argument, which is what Ozil uh, said, is that this was never intended as a political statement at all. It was simply... Uh, a matter of respect, of respecting the office of president. And he took a picture. He didn't even necessarily know that this picture would be broadcast throughout the world. Uh, And it really was the reaction and the overreaction, in his view and the view of many others, of uh, German media, German fans uh, that drove this situation to a head. So people could say he's a crybaby, but at the same time, they were demanding an explanation. And after Uh, sort of taking the blame for the World Cup defeat, it was unlikely that this was going to uh, sort of go away quietly. Mm.
1: So educators here, Ira, you mentioned that there are 3 million people of Turkish descent in Germany. Is Ozil representing the views of those people, or is he the only one feeling this way?
4: Well, I think what we've learned today, which really isn't that surprising, is that the Turkish community in Germany very much supports method Özil in the sense that uh, they feel that he was made a scapegoat for Germany's World Cup loss, and they do see, or many of them see, a racist component there. Now, where uh, there is disagreement in the Turkish community in Germany is about the Turkish government. Uh, you know, there there's maybe sixty percent of Turks actually support the government; the other forty percent are uh, against the government by and large. And so, taking a picture with the turkish president so close to the world cup uh, that did inflame some tensions even within the turkish community but i think now uh, to see sort of the reaction from uh, from from some german fans and, and commentators i think that has has angered uh, the turkish community because well maybe it wasn't the best idea to take that photo uh, the reaction was 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 pretty strong i mean he had taken pictures with erdoğan before uh, this is the type of thing that uh, really wasn't that uncommon. It just became the situation between Turkey and Germany just sort of deteriorated in the last couple of years. And uh, Mesut Ozil uh, sort of got caught in the crossfire, although uh, certainly he could have uh, avoided taking that picture. But in the statement he said it wasn't something he regretted because he didn't see it as a political statement. So I think that's something that uh, the Turkish community will, will stand behind him. On.
1: Yeah, you keep referring to that photo. Was it leaked by, by Erdogan's government and his people ahead of the election? Was there any malice to it?
4: Well, just in the sense that uh, that Ozil is a, a famous person of Turkish heritage, so uh, you know it, it may have appeared to some people as an endorsement. But I don't think that Erdogan uh, explicitly said in any way that he was being endorsed by Mesut Uzal. By taking this picture so in terms of malicious intent i don't really see uh i don't really see anything malicious in it it may perhaps just the usual sort of election politics and as a sport sporting star method might have done better to just steer clear of any sort of election politics but that is asking quite a bit of a football player again this is somebody who uh, he's known, I'm speaking about Erdogan here, this is somebody who he's known and done photo, uh, shoots with before. So it may not have seemed that unusual to, to Ozil to simply do it again. And there were reports that he didn't necessarily know, uh, that the photo would be made public. So in that sense, maybe there was some, uh, some sort of deception involved. But, uh, again, it doesn't, it, it, the questions being asked now are, uh, whether the reaction to the photo is appropriate. And I think, at least from the perspective of Mesut Ozil, obviously not, because uh, you know, he's resigned from the team, from the uh team where he's won a world championship with and has been really one of the best players of his generation.
1: Mm. There were um the the German Football Federation also criticized him for that photo. Were they right to criticize him as the football federation?
4: Well I think the big issue with the football federation is that they're uh, they criticized him after the World Cup. So uh, before the World Cup, I think there was criticism of Ozil. I, I can't remember if the Federation, exactly what their wording was before the World Cup. But I think uh, had they limited their criticism to the, the buildup to the World Cup, that would have been acceptable to many people. I think the problem for the Football Federation was after Germany's disappointing performance, right? They were knocked out in the first round. So after this, then they said that it would have been better had Ozil not taken that picture. However, one imagines that had Germany advanced uh, and and done much better in the World Cup, perhaps it would have never been spoken of again. So I think there is a sense that uh, they were looking for a scapegoat and that it should have been left uh, you know, the issue was supposedly resolved. Ozil and his teammate, OK, Gundogan, actually met with Germany's president uh, a couple weeks before the World Cup. Uh, they came out and said they had a good meeting, talked about why uh, it may have been controversial. So I think many people believe the issue should have been over there. So to come out after the World Cup and say uh, that it was a distraction that the team didn't need, I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way here.
1: Yeah, there has been a response from the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. What did you make of what she had to say?
4: Well, Angela Merkel, through her, uh, her spokesperson earlier, said uh, that she respected Mesut Ozil as a football player and, and wished him the, the best, basically. So uh, not, a very, uh, not much of a response there from the, the Chancellor, really. But, uh, you know, it raises a lot of issues here, which uh, her spokesperson also talked about. Uh, about integration with the Turkish community, that's been a long-standing uh, issue here in Germany. Are is the large Turkish population accepted as being German? If they have a German passport, uh, what's the difference between somebody with Turkish roots and somebody with German roots? Well, uh, Mesut Özil, we find out that uh, that maybe maybe Turks are not as integrated as they should be, as there or as that many would like them to be. So that was something. Uh, that's something of concern, of course, to German government officials who are, you know, have done a lot of talking about having a multicultural society, but it does seem sometimes when the chips are down, uh, such as with the national football situation, there does seem to be uh, perhaps a, a higher standard for some of these, these players of foreign descent, and that's something uh, that the country really needs to come to terms with.
1: And, and what did the German Football Federation have to say? I understand there's also been a response from them.
4: Right. Well, they, they rejected Urzel's accusations of racism. So they basically, uh, they basically said this is, uh, this is not, this is not true. We did not, uh, we did not scapegoat Messrs. Ozil because of, of his race or his religion or anything like that. So, uh, we'll see if that will be enough. Uh, the, the, the head of the football federation, Reinhard Grindel, he has, Personally, come under come under criticism both from Ozil himself, but also by others for uh, for his behavior and all this. So we'll see if uh, we'll see if he's able to keep his job after uh, after all of this. But the Football Federation they 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 rejected the accusation of racism. They said that was not had nothing to do with this situation, and that Ozil made a mistake by taking that picture. He never truly atoned for it, and if he wants to. Uh, you know, to to quit the national team, he has, of course, uh, a full right to do that. Mm.
1: And is this the end of it now, or is the country still gonna uh, debate and discuss this for days and weeks going forward? <laughs> I think
4: <laughs> certainly for days going forward, this will be a big topic of conversation here in Germany. Uh, you know, in the in the coming months and years, uh, it remains to be seen. But one thing to consider is that uh, in Germany, as in the rest of Europe. Uh, You know, there really has been the rise of of some far-right parties and some nationalism. So a debate about uh, a a country's footballer who, you know, has foreign heritage, who is a Muslim, Uh, that does seem like a bit of a touchpoint for a larger debate in society, and that's a debate that will undoubtedly continue for the coming months and years in this country at least.
1: Oh, Eras Pizza, SBC Sport and News correspondent in Berlin. Thank you very much for the insight that you've given us uh, this evening. We really appreciate your time, sir. So. Thank you.
2: Take your life from ordinary to extraordinary. Enroll now for a MANCOSA postgraduate diploma and qualify for four credits onto our prestigious MBA program. Register now, MANCOSA, Southern Africa's leading distance private higher education institution and proud member of Honours United Universities. Visit our website, www.mancosa.co.za or SMS MANCOSA and your email address to 34745 MANCOSA. Dream it, we'll take you there.
4: Shut. The. the
3: fridge. fridge. Shut the front door. Winner Home is back. Yes! The
1: fifth season of Winner Home is looking for design contestant jewel. And this year it's happening in the Glorious Cape. So, if you think you have what it takes to serve design
3: razzle and dazzle and you have the eye for details, then apply to be one of the design duos, each decorating an apartment in Somerset West and competing for the title of Best Design Duo and a cash prize of 100,000 Rand. Rand. Details of how to apply on winnerhome.tv. This is your opportunity to make a name for yourself in the South African interior design industry and make
1: the stage yours.
3: Apply now to be one of the design contestant jewels on winnerhome.tv. Coming soon to SABC 3. The stage is yours. The
4: stage is yours. Call Tabiso now. 0891
1: 104
0: 207.
1: Yeah, you can call us at any time to join the conversation. But from Berlin, we move to Brighton now, an English Seaside resort town, as we are told. And that's where uh, Pesitawu has uh, signed, has completed his move to the English Premier League club, uh, reported to be around 50 million rand, which is a South African transfer record fee, if that is the case. And we are joined on the line now by a man who will help us understand more about the club and the city of Brighton and also about Pesitawu's move to Brighton. And Brian Owen, sports reporter, at the Argus joins us on the line. Brian, good evening and thank you very much for, for joining us here in South Africa.
0: Um, my pleasure, my
1: pleasure. Uh, Brian, firstly, when did you start hearing about a possible move for Pesitao by Brighton? Because I've seen you've written quite a few articles about this.
0: Um, bits and pieces, yeah, the two of us who cover Brighton and So I saw, I think it was a suggestion in, in the African press, what, a month ago, something like that. Mm. And we checked it out here and we heard that... Um, he wasn't a guy that I knew at all. He's not really known around here. Um, I checked it out at Brighton. They said yes, somebody we were interested in. We ran a story along those lines, and I was very much blown away, really, by the amount of interest and the amount of reaction I got from South Africa, and then suddenly realised what a big name he is down in your part of the world. So, um, yeah, probably about a month or so, you know, it's dragged on a little bit.
1: Oh yeah, no, for sure. He's certainly a big star here. A footballer of the season. Probably the best talent that yeah. has been produced by South Africa in recent times. But is it a, is it a surprise signing for you, um, for for Brighton? Is it the kind of player that could strive at Brighton?
0: I just know so little about him. But the Brighton success rate in terms of recruitment in recent, probably the last two years, has been very impressive. And they've sort of got a reputation of getting players a little bit below the radar in this country, which they have to. And being very careful with their recruitment in terms of player, in terms of the type of person, personality. They've got a a really high success rate and not a huge expenditure, you know, relative to the Premier League finances. So you sort of trust them. I think over the last two or three years, anybody who followed them has built up a trust that if if they brought somebody in, there's a good reason for it. Mm.
1: I guess then you're not surprised that it's been loaned out because of work permit issues. But please take us through these work permit issues. How does it work and why can't he play for Brighton?
0: Um, I'm not an expert on the legalities of it, but he has to have um, played for a certain, a certain amount of times for his international team and they have to be of a certain rank. I did speak to Chris Newton, the Brighton manager, about this and said would he be playing if it wasn't for the work permit. And he thinks he would have been loaned out anyway because mm. of the, the gap between... Where he has been playing and playing in the Premier League, um, Brighton got quite a few players out. That's not slight on Percy at all, but they have got a few players out on loan. It worked, tends to work that way. Um, it might have changed where he went on loan. But talking to Chris outside the Brighton manager, it's a two, it's, it's a double-edged sword, to it, a double-edged reason as to why he's gone away. It's not just the work permit he would probably have got anyway.
1: Uh, so does that mean he can't have any involvement with the club? He can't even train with Brighton at the no. moment.
0: That's, that's where it changes from some of the players. You know, it's not unusual for us to see a young player brought in. Um, they have a look at him, and then he goes out on loan for, and as a, sort of a project, where it ha- is different. Like you say, he can't train. We won't see him in the pre-season friendly. Um, he'll be he'll be a man of mystery for some time yet. And then, I'm afraid I don't really know the sort of the in and outs of the uh, work permit, the legalities yeah. side of it. But again, you sort of think they've got it. They've got it taken care of because it's a lot of trouble to get his sign in.
1: Yeah. Has there been any indication on where they're looking to send him?
0: No. I mean, there's, my guess would be, and as has been talk of Belgium, and my guess would be somewhere like Belgium or Holland where the football is of a similar type. Maybe the climate is of a similar type to, to England to try and get him a little bit um, tuned and the climate side, in more ways than one. Uh, the, the chairman here, Tony Bloom, has a, t- has a club in Belgium, but I think that's probably, maybe that's too easy to an assumption to get to here, go there. That would be. My best guess though would be somewhere like that, but no, there hasn't been anything said. Again, you would like you would think there are the recruitment department of Brighton would have some thoughts on where it would be and would have already made some inquiries.
1: We've we've heard that the owners have that club like you mentioned in, in, in Belgium. Is it is it more of a feeder club or is it completely different to Brighton?
0: It's it's very new. I'm not quite sure how it's gonna work because he's only sported. Uh-huh. So, um and that that was quite a surprising thing as well. because it hasn't been up and running at all. Um I mean Brighton players go out, you know, you've got some here in non league, some to go to championship league one, whatever, Scandinavia one went to last season. So we don't know how that is going to work. It's a strange one with Percy because I know it's a massive signing in South Africa and there's a lot of, because of that, it's gained a lot of interest here and there's a lot of intrigue saying who is this, thinking who is this player who is such a hit. But at the same time, it sort of takes second, second stage to signings being made for the Premier League season, which starts in three weeks time, which is probably seen as more of a priority. Well, obviously, is more of a priority for, as far as supporters are concerned.
1: At twenty four, Brian Owen, would you say he still has time on his side to go and impress somewhere else and come back to Brighton and stake a claim for a for a place?
0: Yeah. I'd like to you'd like to think it's that balance. He has got time, but he's also got a bit of maturity and not bringing in um a young kid. That's one of the things Chris Heaton, I spoke to Chris Hutton face to face about this the other day and he made a, made he's quite keen to make that point. He's a senior player, he he's you know, he's grown up. They're taking him at, a, they think, a good time. Uh, they'll look at him this season, throughout the season, on monitoring um, consistently. They'll look at him at the end of the season and then see where they stand. But like say, it's a much low risk, isn't it, for Brighton, and it could be very exciting.
1: Mm. And are you are you that side aware of the transfer fees? Uh, because here in South Africa, they're always secretive. We never hear anything about the transfer yeah. fees. We have to speculate. <laughs>
0: secretive here as well. I'm afraid I think that's, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Very secretive because they side inside the
1: world as well. Okay. For those who have just joined us, we are speaking to Brian Owen, sports reporter at the Agas. He does follow Brighton and we're just trying to find out more about Pesita move that caused a lot of excitement here in South Africa. And uh, we also want to find out after this break more about Brighton because as much as Brian says um, that they they had to look up Pesitaou, uh, to see and, and see that he's a big star in South Africa. Here in South Africa now, people want to buy Brighton jerseys. They want to find out more about the club and we'll find out more about the club after this quick break at SAFM radio
0: and that's Tabiso Musia on Twitter
1: let's now we're still talking to Brian Owen let's find out a bit more about the club because so many of you want to go buy jerseys you've already said that you're going to go and support Brighton whether Percy plays or not for them Brian please educate us here we've seen mm. Brighton play but what makes the club tick and what are expectations that a club like Brighton
0: what makes it tick is that uh, sort of a fabulous story over the last those well, twenty years when they lost their home ground you know they were in uh, had a little bit of nomadic they' were in exile at Gillingham about an hour and a half away, then they came back and played at a small ground at an, an adapted athletic stadium, then built the pretty magnificent Amex stadium where they've been since two thousand and eleven. They've climbed since two thousand and eleven they've climbed from third tier to now the Premier League. They're about to start their second season in the Premier League. Um, last season and they were more or less safe in March and then secured it by beating Manchester United in the last home game and inside the sellout crowds of just over 30,000 so, uh, Chris Heaton, the manager I've spoken about earlier, has done a fantastic job, He sent them from the relegation zone in the championship in 2014-15 and he played a very stru- sort of structured game double act across the pitch if you like, 4-4-2, four, four, two, two centre-backs two, two wingers two full-backs, two in the middle. He's changed a little bit. He used to play like two, genuine two up front. Now he'd play like a number 10 and uh, just behind a centre-forward. Where person we'd fit into that, I'm not quite sure. I'm saying he could play wide. He could play through the middle, maybe in that number 10 role. Um, and it's a club really on the up, really good feel about it and, and a little bit of an adventure, adventure sort of feel to it because it's only the second season in the Premier League and that is and that, it's just a, a different world from the Championship, good as the Championship is.
1: And and what has that promotion to the Premier League uh, done for the City? I mean, I'm sure it must have been a a big positive.
0: Yeah, yeah, huge. I mean, the part when they actually secured the promotion on, um, I think it was Easter Monday of last year, the parties around the town and players being carried on, you know, fans' shoulders into town, etc. Well, uh, people remember that for, for decades, I would imagine. Um, it, it was an exciting season. I mean, the, it's hard. The wins are few and far between, and you have to enjoy them because you might not get another one for a couple of months. Um, obviously, it's trying to get some really strong teams. The pace of the games is impressive. Uh, atmosphere, and like I say, sellouts everywhere. They were getting good crowds so they were getting mm-hmm. high 20,000. But now, you talk about people wanting to come over to South Africa and get tickets to see games.
1: Look mm-hmm.
0: their planning, plan ahead. It might not be that easy, depending on the game you want to see.
1: Well, you spoke about surviving the X last season and also beating Manchester United, of course, doing it in style. We saw that here in South Africa. But what are the expectations now next season? Is it still to to just stay up and to be safe? Or are there more expectations now on Chris Hutin and the players?
0: Um, I think probably a little bit better than last season. I think you look at it, there are some clubs you wonder how they might not be particularly strong next season. Um... We've got Wolves coming up who've got a lot of money and a lot of good signings, but there are others, teams who just stayed up or one or two of the ones who came up. I think Brighton will expect to stay up, um, try and do it a little bit earlier and try to a bit more away from home where they really struggled. But um, I certainly don't think they're getting ready for a, for a sort of relegation dogfight. And if you look at, well, i say, 30 South signed in a little bit overshadowed, they've made six or seven signings and we're sort of waiting for them to break their transfer record on on an Iranian winger, which we think may or may not happen fairly imminently. So it, it, it just feels like a place and a club really on the up.
1: Well, just before I let you go, there's one more question from Twitter. They want to know how long until he's called back from his loan, Pesitao?
0: We, we don't know. It'll be a season. I would have said, I think it will certainly be. He will be on loan for this season coming and then take it from there. I don't, I don't think that anybody really knows beyond that. He'll be constantly monitored. People will be over there. They've actually just brought in a, a new member of staff who looks after lone players. So he will have a specific sort of a lone players manager keeping really close tabs on him. This, I don't think, you obviously can play for Brighton this coming season. I'm quite yeah. certain of that. And then we will see. We'll see how he does. It's a big step up, as Chris Hewton says. Let's um, see how he acclimatises. But I see a lot of interest interesting in here. And I think we're sort of. Very impressed by the amount of interest coming from from your nest of the woods.
1: <laughs> well, he's also a great kid besides being a fantastic player. He's just a great kid and everybody he, loves he him. Yeah.
0: He will be because they are the players bright and Sign. There's a lot of background work done and they are that sort of character and hopefully he gives a good interview as well.
1: Oh, Great stuff Brian Owen Thank you very much sir, For finding time To speak to us And giving us Some insight Into uh, the club Brighton You've definitely Got some new The club Definitely has some new Supporters here In South Africa We've seen a lot Of people Over the past Couple of days Saying that They're going to Start supporting The club And, buy, and buying Brighton jerseys Okay No
0: problem Thanks very much
1: Thank you Brian Owen From the August There just giving us A bit of insight Into uh, what will Happen with Itao. We've got to call a caller Sunday in Cape Town Thank you for holding What do you want to add?
5: Uh, evening, Charles. How are you?
1: Evening, evening, Sandile.
5: Yes, ma'am. No, for me, it, it's more of a, a a concern rather than a question because um, I I feel and I understand that it's a good move as far as uh, football is concerned. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a good move. It's a good business deal as well for Sunbound. Um But then, before we rejoice, I feel that we must ask ourselves. Um, what does the future hold for Oupesi because, Mm. yes, he's signed by Brighton, but what is going to happen next? Who knows where is he going to next? Um, Mm. On a personal note, I just feel that maybe perhaps he could have went into a smaller league, you know, uh, play a year or two and then uh, consider such a move when he knows that he's going there to test himself and, and perhaps prove himself. Because at the moment we are rejoicing, we are celebrating. Mm. Take nothing away from his talent and his ability, but we, we don't know what we are going to wake up into tomorrow.
1: And are you surprised, Sundayle, just even from the conversation that we've had with Brian, who, who who's, who's clearly spoken to the manager a few times, that even Brighton seem not to be sure what they're going to do with him now?
5: Um, exactly where my question my question stems from, you know, because yes, it's it's nice. He he is exciting. He is a talented kid. Um, but you do not want to sign in just for the sake of, of you having him where he could have been elsewhere, where he's playing and, and, and constantly improving, you know? Uh, maybe maybe not Belgium. I feel on a personal note that maybe he's already better than maybe 50% of the players in Belgium. Maybe not they, but maybe why not France? Why not Holland if, if uh, a well-permit day is possible as well?
1: Okay, great call there, Sandy, calling us uh, from uh, Cape Town, just reacting to what Brian Owen um, had to say about Pesitao's move. It's an exciting move, make no mistake. I mean, we don't see a lot of South African players being signed by English Premier Club, but I think this is where now a lot of people want clarity just to find out what will happen for him uh, because his coach has said that he mustn't go to um, any of those other leagues like Russia and all those other leagues. His coach, Pitsomu had said that he deserves to play, um, well, his former coach, by the way, Pitsomu has said that he deserves to play in the top five leagues leagues around the world. So let's see. No doubting about it. No doubt about his talent, of course, Pesitawe. No doubt that he's a great kid who who should be able to handle himself overseas wherever they send him. I think he he will he should be able to make us proud. He's very disciplined from the interactions that we've had with him in the media. That's it then from us. show's gone so quickly we went to germany we went to sri lanka and we went to a brighton and it's over boom just like that up next though um tonight's big hitter with mr ashraf gada is nomsa daniel ceo of a grasa michelle trust between 8 and 9 p.m that's uh, the safm viewpoint and it's also the hashtag safm viewpoint right here on safm uh, thank you very much uh, to luyolo thank you to Khadebe there on social media all those tweets that you're seeing and those quotes is helping us out And Baba Tuma in a uh, technical there'll be more sport in the morning with zai khan as always any suggestions feel free to email coolchicksport at safm.co.za my name is Tabiso Musia news is up next